Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Wednesday, November 8th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in the New York tri-state area. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm David Escobar. And I'm Caroline Ely. And here are today's headlines. The results are in for New York City's election. All 51 city council seats were up for grabs this year, as well as district attorney positions in three of the five boroughs. In Harlem, Democrat Yusuf Salam might have run unopposed, but his election to District 9 is still historic. Salam is one of the members of the now-exonerated Central Park Five. After last night's results, the New York City Democrats will maintain their stronghold over city council, but that doesn't mean everything went according to plan. That's especially true up in the Bronx, where Republican challenger Christy Marmorado declared victory over incumbent Democrat Marjorie Velasquez. That contest was by far the closest across the city. And even though we still don't have a certified winner, it looks like the race is going to be decided by just a couple of percentage points. And part of the reason for that close margin could be voter turnout. Less than half a million of the city's 4.5 million registered voters showed up to the polls, according to CBS. Experts say voters are generally more focused on elections that decide executive seats like the mayor or governor. And speaking of big races, the third GOP presidential debate is scheduled for tonight. The field of candidates is now just five, excluding former President Donald Trump. Trump is skipping tonight's debate altogether, which is expected to focus on foreign policy amid the Israel-Hamas conflict. The action kicks off tonight in Miami at 8 p.m. on NBC News. The billionaire Mets owner Steve Cohen is unveiling his long-awaited Queen's Casino plan. He revealed a sprawling $8 billion gaming center, hotel, and music venue near City Field, which he's dubbing Metropolitan Park. The proposed entertainment playground will be a partnership between Cohen and Hard Rock International. Cohen says Metropolitan Park will also benefit the community by adding 20 acres of green space and access to Flushing Bay. The land for the new facility, however, is legally designated as parkland. Cohen would need to get the state legislature and Governor Kathy Hochul to pass a law allowing commercial development there. And key lawmakers still need to give the plan their sign of approval. State Senator Jessica Ramos, whose district includes Willits Point and the neighborhoods around it, has not yet supported this legislation. Grand Bazaar NYC is the oldest, largest, and most diverse weekly market in the city. But beyond all the food, clothes, and accessories, the bazaar also has a deeper mission, helping fund after-school programs for four local public schools. WFUV's Rosie Lenz has the story. If you're native to the Upper West Side, chances are you visited Grand Bazaar NYC. It's a bustling market that happens every Sunday afternoon, and there's absolutely no limit to the kinds of vendors you can find there. But the bazaar wasn't always a bazaar. It started as a yard sale to support local students, but it became so much more. I talked to Mark Sego, the executive director of the Grand Bazaar. And since then, it's been a regular uh, Sunday uh, market. And with Grand Bazaar, it had a little different spin to it as well, where there are themed events, and it was more curated um, and had a lot more activities on site than just a, like a regular food flea market. Sigo says the bazaar has become a staple for the community, and he also explained the market benefits both the students at the four schools and the bazaar's merchants. I think just the different aspects to it. Obviously, it's uh, community organized, so it's the it's benefit the the schools, the 2,000 children, 
The second part of the mission is to kind of keep New York kind of creative and vibrant by supporting local artists, designers, craft makers, providing them affordable retail space and helping them grow their business. I talked to Jessica and Monica Valenzuela of Little Boxes NYC, one of the vendors at the market who own a bakery out of Brooklyn. They've been regulars at the bazaar over the last year. Jessica and Monica say the bazaar provides patrons with another important component, shopping locally. So it's a reliable like place for people to like sell what they're doing, but also to like peruse. So. Support small business. Yeah. We're two sisters. We really appreciate when people support our things, and so we want to support other small businesses too and get the dreams, dreams going. Lily is a regular shopper at the bazaar. She brought her friends with her to explore and visit her favorite vendor. It's like a lot of different diverse things, and um, when the weather's nice, it's, it's perfect. And the weather was perfect, so the crowd was huge. Jeff Colton, another regular at the market, says part of the market's success is its location. It's, it's in the heart of the Upper West Side. You're near the farmer's market. You're near the museum. It's just a nice place to hang out on weekends. And uh, it's also a really nicely curated collection of, uh, of sellers. I asked a few bazaar goers if they knew about the proceeds benefiting the four local schools. But the answer was a unanimous no. I actually didn't know that that's where the money was going, but yeah, I think it makes a really big difference. That was Krista, a first-timer at the bazaar. She says she wishes more people knew about where the profits go. But she also thinks the market is so popular because the variety appeals to so many different people. But Sego says he thinks the market's importance comes down to a few things. I think everybody likes an underdog, everybody likes original, and everybody enjoys uh, also shopping local and supporting their local community. And the bazaar always has themed events going on. From Halloween to sweets to vintage, there's a little bit of something for everyone. I'm Rosie Lenz, WFUV News. That was WFUV's Rosie Lenz reporting from Grand Bazaar, NYC. In other sweets-related news, if you're in New York and looking to get into the holiday spirit, the world's largest gingerbread village is returning to Manhattan. Chelsea Market is hosting the village, and it's already been certified by the Guinness Book of World Records. They have held the title for years and are looking to do so again this year. Every year, creator and chef John Lovich, a.k.a. the Gingerbread Man, designs, bakes, and constructs 1,500 homemade gingerbread houses made of edible gingerbread, royal icing, and candy. The display will be up from November 26th until around January 7th, and I am sure by then the houses will be stale. It's no mystery that tensions between the U.S. and China are on the rise, with many things threatening diplomacy between the two global superpowers. That's right, David, but I don't think anyone would expect potentially the biggest threat to diplomatic relations right now would be pandas. The pandas in U.S. zoos have served as a sign of diplomacy for over five decades, but now the lease for one of the last panda families in the country is set to expire. The family of giant pandas from the Smithsonian National Zoo in D.C. will be returned to China this week. Mei Zhang and Tian Tian have been on loan to the U.S. from China for over two decades. Panda experts say the animals have reached an age where they should return to China. They say they don't want the pandas to pass away outside of their native country. The departure of the pandas means Atlanta will have the only zoo in the United States with giant pandas. And the lease for Atlanta's pandas is set to expire next year. The National Zoo plans to ask Chinese officials for a new pair of pandas, according to the New York Times. But there's concern that rising tensions between the two countries may mean altogether no more pandas in the U.S. 
Tonight is the Country Music Awards, and to honor the late Jimmy Buffett, iconic artists will be paying tribute. The ceremony, co-hosted by Luke Bryan and Peyton Manning, will feature performances from Kenny Chesney, Alan Jackson, Zach Brown Band, and Mac McNally from Buffett's band. They'll sing a medley of the singer's biggest hits. And speaking of the CMAs, we have WFUV's Jaya Joyce here to bring us more updates in the world of music. Hey, Jaya. Hey, guys. So we'll come back to the Country Music Awards a little bit later, but let's start first with the Tri-State. What's been going on right here in New York City? Just last Friday, the Barclays Center in Brooklyn hosted the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. The lineup of inductees included Sheryl Crow, Missy Elliott, George Michael, Willie Nelson, and Bernie Taupin, among others. The show also featured star-studded performers like Elton John, Stevie Nicks, LL Cool J, Olivia Rodrigo, and Queen Latifah. Elton John's performance came shortly after inducting his songwriting partner, Bernie Taupin. He said that meeting Taupin was one of the greatest things in his life and even surprised his fans when he added that the two of them had just finished another album days ago. And I heard the crowd was also stunned at the show's finale. Jaya, who was the last performer? The ceremony ended with Queen Latifah introducing Missy Elliott to the stage, who was the first female solo rapper to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. She closed the show by performing some of her biggest hits. And you know, you just cannot talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame without mentioning country music legend Dolly Parton, who was inducted last year. What's Dolly been up to? Last night, ABC premiered a Dolly Parton special called Dolly Parton from Rhinestones to Rock and Roll. It came just one day before the Country Music Awards, which will take place tonight. In the one-hour special, Parton gave fans a behind-the-scenes look at her new album, Rockstar, that's coming out next week. She also discussed some of her collaborations with artists like Paul McCartney, Steven Tyler, and Peter Frampton. You can stream it on DirecTV Stream or FUBU TV. And make sure to tune in to the Country Music Awards tonight on ABC. I will definitely be tuning in, Jaya. But also, speaking of ABC specials, what is the network doing with Taylor Swift in a couple weeks? Well, as we know, Taylor Swift has dominated the music world, especially over the past year with her sold-out Eras tour. And now, she'll even be taking over Dancing with the Stars. The show will be hosting a dedicated Taylor Swift night on November 21st. All couples left in the competition will dance to her music. And the lead choreographer for the Eras Tour will even be a special guest judge. It seems like every week we got a new gift for the Swifties on this music update. But, you know, we've been talking about rock and roll as well. And I've heard there's going to be a new musical about it coming to Broadway. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. Next spring, songs from Huey Lewis and the News will be coming to Broadway with a musical titled The Heart of Rock and Roll. It'll feature so many of the band's hits from the 80s like The Power of Love and Stuck With You. One of the producers, Hunter Arnold, said that the show is more than nostalgia and is a joyful gift to Broadway audiences. Previews for the show will start on March 29th at the James Earl Jones Theater, and opening night will be in April. It sounds like it'll be a great show. Jaya Joyce is a reporter at WFUV News who covers all things music. Jaya, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much for having me.
And that's our show for today. But check back with us tomorrow around 3 o'clock for more news, music, and culture. And as always, you can find more from us at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm David Escobar. And I'm Caroline Ely. And that's What's What.